fork of how we try to engage in this. Um, let me, uh, let me, ju- I know there's like 30 other things, I, I, I know, but let me jump in uh, uh, if I can. Um, what I want to talk about this morning is that as, as the, this first couple words that he has in here, as foreigners and exiles, as foreigners and exiles, we're all called to an attractive alternative to a life shaped by empire. We're all called to an attractive alternative to a life shaped by empire. And Peter sums up that alternative way of life for these people in this moment by saying uh, that line 17, respect everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, and honor the emperor. And this passage already sounds crazy. It's like already a little bit like complicated and uncomfortable and, and considering history and what does this mean and the ways in which this passage has been abused over time and in the past and it already feels a little crazy, but you cannot possibly understand how radical this text is if you don't understand the historical context and specifically the emperor that Peter is talking about. He's talking about Nero. When he says submit to all human authorities, especially to the emperor, he's talking about Nero and to the governors of Nero. Now, if you don't know much about Nero, I could sit here and talk about Nero all day, but just a little, just like a, maybe a little piece about Nero. There was this great fire that happened in Rome that uh, 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 actually a lot of people believe Nero started. Um, and he started in order to garner like a public persecution of, of Christians, of this, these followers of the way. So there's this fire in Rome, and Nero uh, uh, blames it on the Christians. He bl- publicly blames this fire, that they started it, they did it because they're trying to overthrow our government, they're trying to start a revolution, here's why they did it, and kind of garnered like public support to, to, to persecute Christians. And once he kind of garnered this public support, he started finding Christians, uh, imprisoning them, gathering them up, and if they would not renounce their faith, he would impale them on rods hang them on these rods and set them on fire to light his garden. And Peter is saying, submit to every human authority, especially that guy. Honor the emperor, that guy. And you thought it was hard to honor a president from not your political affiliation. We're talking about Nero. I mean, I've heard that there's a, there's a Romans text that talks about kind of like follow laws, obey the human authority, that God is, a, God is like appointed human authorities over you. And I have heard like many times over the past, like uh, the, the, it's, it's it, you know, depending on the particular leader or depending on the particular governor, or depending on the particular president, there might be people who are like, look, I understand the Bible says that, but that, but... They weren't talking about blank, this person, this party, these people. You're right, it wasn't. He was talking about Nero. Way worse. Way, way, way worse. How do Christians operate in that kind of a cultural moment where the the community of believers would have felt like they had one of two pathways, one of two responses in that they would have like an existential crisis with a binary decision of what to do in that kind of environment. They can either pledge like total allegiance or they can lead a revolution. These are the two things we can do here. 
uh, 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 they can go the, the route of allegiance, which is to say, let's surrender our lives entirely to the emperor and to all his governors, advance his agenda at every turn, uh, uh, and agree completely with everything he does, and obey completely everything that he asks, and distance ourselves from and slander anyone who thinks otherwise. Not to be involved with or, or uh, have any version of relationship with people who think otherwise. The alternative way would be revolution. Let's, let's overthrow this un, these unjust rulers, this unjust enterprise, this, this unjust party, all these, all these policies by any means necessary. By any means necessary. Including violence and slander and false narrative uh, and division and treating all others in alignment with this regime with slander and violence and any, by any means necessary. Start a revolution. Overthrow. They would have been faced with this binary choice between allegiance or revolution. And this is the same binary choice that would have been faced by Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and, and Daniel. The, these, these guys who were uh, 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 Jewish in descent, they were the people of God. They had like these identity markers as the people of God, and yet they were, uh, uh, they were in under Babylonian oppression. They were in exile. They were under Babylonian rule. They were living in Babylon. And what did they do? They tried to obey the prophet Jeremiah who said, seek the good of the city. Pray for the city. Uh, 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 be subversively loyal. And so they changed their names. They, they even allowed their names to be kind of like Babylonian names. They, did a, they, they assimilated a little bit to the culture. They worked for Babylon. They advanced the cause of Babylon. They made Babylon money. An oppressive regime. They worked for it. They advanced some of its goals as a society. They sought its good. And, and uh, uh, you know, I mean, just imagine uh, uh, the way the, the, the virtuous paradigms of today would look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Complicit with evil, uh, um, you know, uh, 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 propagating injustice, uh, because they're making money, working for pursuing the good of this a Babylonian regime. And when it comes down to a moment where, they, where Nebuchadnezzar, the, the, the king at the time, tells them, I need you to, lay, to kneel down and submit your total loyalty and allegiance and pray to this idol. And all the rest of the people of God, they went straight to their knees and prayed. What did they do? They did allegiance. That binary choice, we either got to go allegiance and total surrender or we've got to go revolt. The people of God go allegiance. And they stand there and they say, sorry, we can't do that. But what did they, they didn't go grab their swords and rush up to him and try to like kill him, slaughter him, garner like a revolt, convince everybody to get on board. Let's, let's deal with this by any means necessary. They say, look, man, we can't do that. We get it. Uh, you got to do what you got to do. Um, but we're not going to kneel. We're not going to pray to that gold thing, that statue. We're not doing it. Um, you know, we serve Yahweh. We serve the God of Abraham and Isaac and Moses. Um, do what you got to do. It's okay. We get it. And, and Nebuchadnezzar throws them in the fire, and, and God counts their suffering as commendable and stands with them, vindicates them. What's, what, 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 you, know, you know who else like faces this binary choice? Daniel faces this binary choice. He's under like a Persian regime and is facing leaders like uh, 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 Cyrus and Darius and they, they, they put together this edict that says 
And again, he's like in the cabinet of a leader of an oppressive regime. He's like one of the leaders who's like right next to, right next to these leaders. He's like uh, advancing the cause, advancing the good, trying to seek the good of the city, pray, be like a, a, a subversively loyal and eventually when they pass this edict that says nobody here can actually pray to, the, to, to any god uh, um, anymore. He goes straight to his tower goes that, that faces, faces the east and he prays. And they see him doing it because it's like right out in open sight. And the, uh, they, they throw him in a lion's den. And he's like, look guys, I get it. You got to do what you got to do. But I can't, I can't obey this. I can't submit to this. And they throw him in the lion's den, and God counts his suffering as commendable, vindicates him. It reminds me of maybe the uh, binary choice faced by the Jews under Roman um, oppression in the intertestamental period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, waiting for the Messiah, carrying a messianic hope, but under Roman oppression. And you see in history, in that intertestamental period, that there's there's a whole lot of Jews who are in, like, like even the Pharisees and the Sadducees, some of these Jews who are in positions of power who decide, look, it's best for us, it's best for our people, it's best for our history, it's best for our lineage, our culture, our legacy, if we just assimilate, if we just like total allegiance, total surrender, agree with everything, obey everything, never push. And then there's some Jews who lead a revolution and, and go, go grab swords and try to fight. And all the Jewish people would have felt this binary choice. What do we do between allegiance or revolution? The same binary option faced by Dietrich Bonhoeffer under Nazi rule, uh, uh, where he, he's a pastor, like a Lutheran pastor in, in, in Germany, and, and he's watching all these churches and all these other pastors just bend over to the Third Reich, bend over to Hitler, bend over to the Nazi regime, and just say, look, uh, total, total allegiance, total surrender. We agree, we're with you, we don't want any problems. We're not going to say anything. We're not going to disobey. It's good. We're good. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer kind of like writing and uh, leading and, and uh, 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 speaking truth to power and gathering people who will speak truth to power and practicing civil disobedience and nonviolent disobedience and providing sanctuary for Jews who are under threat. And he even gets caught up in, a, in, in, a, in like a few assassination attempts, which is complicated. And if you read his writing, you can see him like existentially wrestling with assassination attempts. Like, like we, we need to get rid of this dude, but I don't know if this is right. I don't know if I should be doing this. I don't know if I should be attached to this. I don't know if this is actually the way of Jesus. I don't know if this is what he would do. And he actually takes himself out of the center of some of those assassination attempts. He still ends up getting killed because of his proximity to them. Do we, do we have allegiance? Do we revolt? This is the same binary choice faced by every slave in history under any version of slavery. I mean, uh, a child slavery, human slavery, sex trafficking, transatlantic slavery, any version of historical or modern slavery. Any slave deals with this binary choice. Total allegiance, total mindless, just agree with everything, obey everything, don't cause any problems, maybe actually get into like some positions of power or influence, at the very least no harm comes to me. Or total revolt. Grab swords, you know, garner, garner a, a, a following, let's do this by any means necessary. This is the same binary option uh, given to everyone under the current political polarized climate. 
you're either, you guys feel this? Can we go there this morning? Can we go there? Is it okay? You're either like all about Trump, like all about it. Like you can't, you will not say anything to anyone that is negative about anything he says or does or policy or character or anything. Or it's like the, the everything he says, everything he does is just the worst. He is the worst. You're either all for him or you're all against him. You're either MAGA or you're Antifa. You got two choices in this world. You got two choices. This is the same binary option given to every employee in every job. Any position of authority, any authority in your life, it's like total allegiance, total surrender, total submission. I'll agree with everything, I'll obey everything, and it'll keep me safe, and it might even give me a little bit of a position of influence or power. Or I hate everything. I don't want to do any of this. I mean, I've worked it. I've worked at Subway. I've worked at a golf course. I've worked at a lifeguard at a pool. I was a deta- Do you guys know what detasseling is? Probably not. It's a corn, corn maze. You know, <laughs> it's a Midwest thing. You know, you like walk through cornfields and you pull off the tops of stalks of corn. It's a real job. I did it for a long time. It's a real job. It's a real job. And the answer there was revolt. The answer there was revolt. It was revolt. The same binary option given uh, 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 to anyone under any version of authority and experienced to various degrees. I think what Peter is exposing is that both of these options, allegiance, total allegiance or total revolt, both of these options are two sides of the same coin and that coin are the virtues and logic of empire. And to belong to the world, to identify with the world, is to be shaped by the impulse of empire. Whether we react out of allegiance or we react out of revolution, we expose the way that we've been discipled by the principles and the virtues and the logic and the values of empire. And we expose the degree to which we still belong to the world. There is this possibility to engage with the world toward a a vision of biblical justice and righteousness and human flourishing and truth, but doing so on the world's terms, borrowing the world's rules, borrowing the world's assumptions in the way that we go about it. And before Peter even offers this alternative way, this third way, this crazy way, he reminds his audience, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. I urge you as people who do not belong to this system of virtues and values and logic and assumptions. And even the people who, who weren't foreigners, the Roman citizens who would be receiving this, he's still saying, your Roman sat- status doesn't actually make you belong The gospel has rendered all of you foreigners to everything. Foreigners and exiles. And what I say next, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, and what I say next, the degree to which you react to it in discomfort or disagreement or negativity actually exposes the degree to which you are still embedded in the logic of empire, in the values of empire, in the virtues of empire. Jesus has rendered us foreigners to these impulses, to this way of thinking, this way of being. 
and He's given us a new birth in the kingdom of God. He's, 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 made, he's making a new nation from which He is the first fruits. He has, he's now declaring that we are citizens of heaven, no longer citizens of the world, no longer born by the world, no longer developed under the world's schemes, but citizens of a new people. This is why we must, Paul goes to such great lengths, this is why we must be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Because it's not like you're just being discipled by the first time when you decide to follow Jesus. You, you've been discipled by something, towards something, every day. And you still are constantly being discipled by something, towards something, every day. But what is at stake is not just our own soul, but the credibility of our kingdom witness to the world, our reputation among the pagans, as Peter would say. And our reputation among the pagans, if they're like, you know, he's saying like foolish talk and accusations and live good lives, live good deeds, like the way, they, the, way the pagan world sees us and the way we engage with the pagan world seems to be extremely important to Peter. And the reason why is because he makes a direct link between our reputation among the world and the reputation of Christ Jesus and the kingdom of God among the world. They are intricately bound, intrinsically bound. And so Peter tries to describe some per parameters of this alternative way. And if we're honest, it seems impossible to exist in the paradox, the tension of these four commands. Respect everyone, love the family of believers, uh, uh, fear God, honor the emperor. So I'm just going to take like one minute on each one and just talk about it a little bit. Respect everyone. That word respect is a variation of the Greek word temios. Uh, it means to, I actually think this is fascinating, the word actually means to affix a value. To affix a value. And to revere that value. Uh, uh, which so respect being to affix a value on everyone, respect everyone, to affix a value on everyone and revere that value. Now, does everyone, does everyone have a, it means you do that, by the way, that we actually see value in others and we choose whether or not to respect that value. But it says respect everyone, everyone, everybody. Nero, everybody. It means you have to affix a value, a human value to Nero and respect that value. Nero, all the governors, everybody, your, your, your boss, your coworkers, your, uh, uh, your employees, your neighbors, your uh, classmates, you have to respect everyone, everyone. And what's the logic for a, for a follower of Jesus about affixing a value to everyone? Do we have a logic for that? Yes, we do. It's called the image of God. Because we believe that every single person has been created and embedded with the image of God, the Imago Dei. So we don't actually affix value to people. God does and we agree with Him. And when we choose to delete that value or to not respect that value that God has placed in a person, we put ourselves in opposition to, to disagreeing with God. So the way to respect everyone is to actually have a robust theology of the image of God in all people and the dignity inherit in the image of God in all people, including the people that you disagree with and the people who create policies that you think are abhorrent. They still are also created in the image of God. Are Christians engaging the political world in this way, respect everyone, carrying that ethic, 
I've been disappointed in Christian engagement in politics for 10 years, and I've only been paying attention to it for 10 years. Politics are steeped like, like front to back, top to bottom, in the values and the logic of empire. Steeped in it, covered in it. The logic of empire requires politics to engage in the rhetoric of hate and demonization, tribal narratives and groupthink. It means that we, we even when we know that somebody on a, with an alternative viewpoint actually came to that viewpoint uh, 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 from certain, from s- certain reasonable claims or convictions or uh, 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 certain experiences or a viewpoint, oftentimes we demonize that position and claim that they came to that viewpoint from something that's completely false. Attribute blame, character flaws to entire groups of people. That's called demonization. Actually, Scripture calls that slander, and Scripture equivocates slander to, to sexual immorality, greed, as like a damnable human offense. Slander. And politics is steeped in it. Our leaders do it with the, the, everybody involved in it is doing it to each other, and everybody who cares about it is doing it with one another in groupthink and confirmation bias settings. It is objectively slander. But to respect, respect everyone, to affix a value and to revere that value, what that requires is to give an honest hearing before passing judgment of another. To actually try to empathetically engage with the experience and story of another. And still disagree. You can still disagree. And you can think it's just outrageous what they, what they think and believe. But to, to, have, be, to have a patient, objective hearing and listening without actually pass, being quick to pass judgment and demonize. Respect everyone, love the believers. It doesn't say respect everyone and respect the believers. It doesn't say love everyone and respect the believers. It says respect everyone and love the family of believers. And that word, a lot of you know this, it's, it's derived from this Greek word agape, and the same version of it here is the same one that's used in John thirteen thirty four, where Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. That's not a, that doesn't sound like a new command, does it? I mean, he's told us to love people all the time. Uh, golden rule, you know, treat others as you would want to be treated, that kind of stuff. But what he says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. That's very new. That's very new. Because uh, uh, when I treat others the way I would want to be treated, I am not treating them the way he treated us, the way he treated me. This is a new command, a new love. This way of love defeats uniformity. It gives way to kingdom unity. To love you as I would want uh, to be loved produces uniformity. But to give myself up for you, to decenter myself in even the way I understand love and engage in it in community, to love someone, you have to know them. To know them, you have to understand them. To understand them, you have to listen to them. To listen to them requires humility. And if you break any of those things along the chain, you defeat kingdom love. 
And the stakes are high. The stakes are high. This is how the world will know that you are my disciples. That's what he says, the way you love one another. The stakes are high. This is how the world will know that we are his disciples. This is how the world will know that he came from the Father and the Father is send, and, and he is sending us by the way we love one another. Respect everyone. Love the believers. Fear God and honor the emperor. The, the word fear is uh, to be in awe of. My wife is afraid of palmetto bugs, otherwise known as massive roaches. She is in awe of them. It is consuming, all-consuming. To be in awe of something is to be like, I cannot think of anything else but this thing upside down on the kitchen floor. I will not make another decision in my life until it is dealt with. It is in awe of all-consuming, a total ownership to it, to the thing that you fear. Totally given over to it. Fear God, honor the emperor. That word honor is almost the same as the word, uh, the, the word respect, respect everyone. It's almost the same, to affix value and to revere that value. Doesn't say, doesn't say honor God and fear the emperor. It doesn't say to total consuming of the emperor, of the human authority, of the structure, and uh, honor God, respect God. It says, fear God, honor the emperor. There is, and I think under, those, under that tension, if there's, I just want to give a few guidelines. And they're from my own convictions. They're from my own convictions. If we are to fear God, not fear the emperor, fear God, awe, total awe-consuming, like ownership, allegiance to God, and honor the emperor, respect the emperor. I actually think there's, there's no place for radical patriotism in the Christian life. I don't think there's any place for like unwavering support of a certain political party or unwavering political allegiance in the Christian life. I actually think Christians should always be independent voters uh, uh, because a, a party affiliation lets the party know no matter what policies you have and no matter what leaders you put, you've got my vote, you've got my support. But an independent voter says, look, maybe, maybe, we'll see. I don't belong to red, I don't belong to blue, I don't belong to green, I don't belong to anything. We'll see. We'll see. Because I belong to him. I don't belong to you. I am called to respect this process. But I don't belong to any of you. And there has to be some, there has to be some respect for government. There has to be some respect for government authority and government systems, even appreciation for government authorities and government systems. I've been in a whole lot of contexts that don't have government systems of currency, government systems of, uh, 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 of, of uh, judici judiciary processes, uh, 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 police forces, law of any kind. I've been in all kinds of situations that don't have the, the, the government and the infrastructure that we have, and there has to be some appreciation for that and some respect and honor for it. But let's talk about what honor the emperor does not mean. Honor the emperor does not mean obey. We know that because the Bible also says honor your father and mother. <laughs> I'm a parent, I can say that. I'm a parent, I can say that. There's plenty of times, guys, if you haven't got there yet, you'll get there eventually. There's plenty of times when you, you might actually have to disobey, disobey your father and mother. College students, you, I mean, you, you're probably all in there right now. It's fine. But there's, 
There's going to be, and there is a way. And again, we see all these examples in Scripture of people who actually ex- display honor for human authority, honor uh, 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 for emperors and governors, and yet still disobey. They still disobey. And that is still accredited to them as righteousness. That disobedience does not actually mean dishonor. And don't let anybody else tell you that those things are equivocated. They're not. But what it does mean is that you can disobey in a way that's honoring and you can disobey in a way that's dishonoring. And we have to be discerners of that. We have to wrestle with that. Because I actually think what this passage says is that if you disobey in a way that's honoring, your suffering that you endure is commendable before God. But if you disobey in a way that's dishonoring, your suffering is not accredited to you. That's serious. That's serious. Honor does not mean full-fledged obedience, constant obedience. It does not mean that. Honor does not mean agreement. It, doesn't, it does not mean you sell your mind and you get rid of your discernment. It, it doesn't mean you just like drink wholesale everything uh, of every human authority over you. It doesn't mean that. Honor does not mean silence. To critique is not dishonoring. And again, don't let anybody equivocate those things to you because it's not true anywhere else in Scripture. There's, there's a whole chunk of the Bible in the Old Testament that has got a lot of prophets that say a whole lot of things about leaders and about systems and about how power is used and about nations. And they are not like, uh, uh, they're not brought before the scorn of God for being dishonoring of human leaders and human systems. But again, there is a way to speak truth to power, to be prophetic and to speak truth to power in a way that is honoring and a way to do it that's dishonoring. And we've got to be discerners together of what that means. Honor does mean, does mean, it does mean to show that person or that authority or those people the respect they are due and speaking of them in a positive regard, refusing to slander and giving time and patience before passing judgment on them. So how do we submit to Nero and still speak truth to power with an uncompromising commitment to the kingdom of God? What does that even look like? And what we want, what, what I wanted this week and maybe what you want right now is like, here's the five parameters, here's the five rules to guide you into this truth ever so perfectly. Guys, it's just messy, right? This is discernment with the Spirit, real time, case by case. And I think the best way to talk about it is through story. I think it looks a whole lot like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego sitting in that fire. I think it, I think it looks a whole lot like Daniel going to the lion's den and being vindicated by God. I think it looks a whole lot like Paul and Barnabas sitting in a Roman prison for something they didn't do, uh, for unfounded accusations, and an earthquake shakes the doors open, and a Roman soldier is about to kill himself because he's going to be on the hook for a bunch of prisoners that got let out. And Paul and Barnabas say, bro, it's cool, we're still here. Paul and Barnabas identifying a human authority over them that they are submitted to, even on unjust charges, and saying, we're not going to run out of here. We're actually just going to sit here. We're going to sit here. And what does, that, what, does that, what does that guard do in Acts 16? He surrenders his life to Jesus. He glorifies God on his visitation because of their good deeds. You see that in verse 3 and 4. Because of their good deeds, because of their respect for authority, submission to authority, and just sitting there when the doors are wide open and convincing everybody else in the prison to sit there. Their suffering is commended to them and that soldier is grateful to them because of that revelation. It looks a lot like Bonhoeffer in his tension and, his, and even in the way that he discerned assassination attempts, even in the way that 
even in the way that he left suffering in Germany and came to the States and was here for a little while and thought, this is wrong, I'm actually supposed to be in the suffering with my people. I'm actually supposed to be there experiencing it. And that choice killed him. And I, I just think it's an exemplary example of this tension. I think it looks a lot like Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks and Fred Shuttlesworth and the Freedom Riders who existed in a time when a whole lot of well-meaning followers of Jesus were on two, uh, were on two binary choices, right? It, looked, it looks a whole lot like uh, looking at a world where you have the, what, what Martin Luther King in his letters to a, from a Birmingham jail called the white moderate, who is uh, 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 leaders who are following Jesus and, 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 and committed to the cause, but at the same time aligning themselves in allegiance too much uh, uh, with, with segregation and uh, uh, the South and the, the politics of the time and wanting to wait and wanting to be patient and wanting to have respect and wanting to honor and not wanting to disagree. And it looks a whole lot like allegiance, but then on the other side you have Malcolm X who's saying, by any means necessary and with weaponry and overthrow and revolt. And then you have this alternative way, this Jesus-looking way of Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks and Fred Shuttlesworth and the Freedom Riders. I think it looks a whole lot like a Dutch church last year called Bethel Chapel who ran, I don't know if you saw this, they ran daily church services for 96 days because they were harboring a family that was under threat of deportation. And there was a law at the time that the, that the police could not actually get engaged with an active kind of religious service. And so they, this church decided, we are going to ha host a religious service every single day. Uh, for this family that is under threat of deportation without a due process, that had been living in, in, in that place for nine years, uh, um, and we're going to be thrown back to a hostile environment that they were trying to escape from. And so this church decides we're just going to have Bible studies and worship services every single day as long as it takes to protect this family. And 96 days later, the government adjusted the policy to where they would give these people a season of time to engage in due process. And they decided, I guess we don't have to keep doing these Bible studies every single day, but it was nice. It was nice <laughs> while we were doing it. I love that. I love that. It is to say, look, we see, we see your, the, the systems of authority. And we're not even necessarily like, dis, like, like waging war against these policies. We're not coming at you with like knives. We're not, we're not going Antifa on you. We're not, we're not slandering you and all the reasons why you have it. But what we are going to do is have a church service every single day to subvert your policies while respecting them, that they're there and we have to, we have to be obedient to them. So we're going to be obedient to them in this way, this particular way. As foreigners and exiles, we're all called to an attractive alternative to a life shaped by empire. And I think the credibility of our witness hinges on our ability to respect everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, and honor the emperor. If the worship team would come up. I've just got this, this last point as we, as we consider responding to this. You know, I, I just think there's, there's, uh, uh, this is going to cut each of us a, a different way depending on where you're at. You know, it's going to, a text like this, a, a conversation like this is going to affirm certain things about each person and actually challenge and cut against with a, 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 a surgeon's knife against some assumptions that we have. And I think, I think there, are, there are some of us in the room who uh, uh, have not wanted to 
um, speak truth to power or, or consider civil do- disobedience or exist in this complexity because we've just drank the Kool-Aid of total allegiance. And, and anybody else who doesn't look like that total allegiance, we actually bring these kinds of accusations against them. And I'm just, call, I'm just calling you this morning, would you repent? Would you repent? And not give your allegiance to anyone but the one who owns you. You are God's slave, no one else's. No one else's. And to give him back full ownership of your life and to give a critical eye, like a discerning eye to any system that begs for ownership of your life. Don't give it. Don't you give it. And there's some of you in this room who who are very, very comfortable speaking truth to power and very comfortable engaging in civil disobedience and very comfortable being critical of certain human authorities. And I think the invitation this, this morning is, have you actually done so in respect? Have you done so in honor? Have you honored those people? Or have you engaged potentially in slander? Have you engaged potentially in demonization? And this morning to repent, to say, I'm, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to follow, I'm going to follow the leadership of Martin Luther King that like was what was mentioned this morning. I'm actually going to follow in the leadership of Peter. I'm going to follow in the leadership of Paul. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to learn to engage this differently because I need to be an alternative way. I will no longer fit into these binary categories of empire. We must be the kingdom of God and it's an alternative. It doesn't fit either side. It does not fit either side. And I think what's at stake is the missional power of a credible witness. When it says in, in the beginning that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. Guys, that's so powerful. There's so much at stake. This is our hope. This, this is our alternative way. As difficult as it is, as complicated it is, as, as paradoxical as it feels sometimes, that it would awaken people to the reality of God, that it would open people up to the conviction of the Spirit through curiosity and openness and through somebody who shakes them loose of the, the paradigms of empire in the world that they would be able to glorify God in revelation when he visits us. Guys, we don't condemn people into righteousness. Have you tried it? I've tried it. It never works. It never works. We don't condemn people into righteousness. Guys, conviction is above our pay grade. Have you tried to convict someone of their sin? It's above your pay grade. You can't do it. Holy Spirit does that. That's not your job. Never works. But what we do is we love and we respect and we embody a different way, a different people, a different, a, a completely contrary way to the world's values and virtues and assumptions. And it cracks people open to think, what is this? What is happening about you? What is this way? And I think it, it cracks people open to something more and gives room, gives space for this, the, the, the Spirit of God to actually convict the world of sin and righteousness. And when we aren't sure how to do that, when you're not sure how to do that, when I'm not sure how to do that, how it looks, how to live into that tension, guys, Jesus is our answer. He is our tuning fork. He is our example. He is the one to look to. He is the one to ask. He is the one to listen for. We've talked about, uh, 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 we've talked about Paul. We've talked about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. We've talked about MLK. We've talked about this Dutch church. You know who, why, why every single one of them were operating the way they were operating? Because they were committed to the way and the life and the voice of Jesus. He is our answer. He is our way. He is our tuning fork. 
He's the one who sat before a crowd of people and said, uh, listen, pay your taxes. Go ahead. Go ahead. That's fine. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but you give to God what belongs to God. You know what that is? Everything, even Caesar, belongs to God, and your life belongs to God. It's subversive. He is the one who was willfully arrested on false charges and didn't come with a sword and didn't come with all kinds of a battle cry. He said, look, you can go ahead and take me. And when his people busted out swords and started chopping people's ears off, he said, bro, chill, put it away, put it away. And then he went over to this guy who's, at, who's, who's, who's arresting him, binding him on false accusations. And he says, how does that feel? Are you okay? Are you all right? About to be scorned and mocked and murdered by these people and says, let me just take care of that. Are you okay? Let me just take care of that. Subversive loyalty, seeing authority, submitting to that authority, respect and honor for that authority, and yet embodying a, a completely different way. He's the one who stood before Pilate, and what did he tell Pilate? He said, my, listen, my kingdom is not of, the, if my kingdom was of this world, my people would be in a revolt right now, but my kingdom isn't of this world. And Pilate says, come on, man, give me something. I don't think, I don't think you did anything wrong you got to start to give me something. Give me some evidence because I have the power over whether you live or die. And what does he say? He says, the only reason you have that power is because the Father has entrusted it to you. You have no authority of your own. You have the authority that God has entrusted to you this moment. So what does he do? He submits to it. He sees authority. He submits to authority and yet he speaks truth to power. And guys, when he's, he's on the cross and he's being murdered, He's in the pit of his own suffering. He's experiencing an enduring pain that you cannot imagine. And he looks before the crowd that is actually complicit, demanded his murder. And what does he say? Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. He actually spiritually advocates, prays for, intercedes for, forgives, asks for the forgiveness of his own murderers. His own murderers. Guys, this is the alternative way of a new kingdom set forth by our king, by a new king, guys. We're citizens of his. We belong to him. We are called to be his ambassadors, his representatives. We're, we're called to uh, give off the aroma of Christ Jesus. We're called to uh, carry his ministry of reconciliation as he's reconciled us. Guys, guys, we have got to be an alternative way and disentangle this morning from the way of empire a new nation, a new people. As we come to the table this morning, we remember. We remember this alternative way brought forth by a new king. A kingdom that we actually had no right to. We had no way to. A salvation that we could not derive on our own. And yet he brought to us on his own, motivated by his great love for us and at such a great price, at an unbelievable cost. And so this morning, even when we wrestle with what he's saying to us, even when, he, when, when we wrestle it's, and confess and repent and turn and ask for courage and power and wisdom, guys, he already secured it for you. He already secured a new way for you. He's already gone before you. He's not surprised this morning by you. He's got all, everything that you need, all the power, all the wisdom, all the discernment, all the mercy, all the grace, all of it. You have unfettered access to it this morning. On the night he was betrayed, 
He took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. And when you eat it, you eat it in memory of me. And in the same way, he took the cup. He poured it out saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. When you drink it, you drink it in memory of me. So this morning, underground family, I want you to come knowing, holding on to what he's saying to you this morning, holding on to it and coming and knowing that you have full access this morning to his power, to his wisdom, to his strength, to endure and ride that tension, ride that paradox, ride that, that, that seemingly contradiction into a third way. You don't have to choose between allegiance and revolt. You can choose the way of the kingdom of God this morning. When you're ready, the elements given for you.